It is a house. A house, yes. A house. It's not. It's a mirror. Nonsense. It's a house surrounded by trees. Let's go in. Yeah. I still say it's a mirror. Nonsense. Blue bottle necklace. Search the house for food. All right, then. So, blood You think this house is a mirage, eh? <laughs> You'll soon see. It's vanished. Gone. You were right. A mirage. I told you it was. What happened? I went Goonpod. My name is Tyler Adams. This week, I'm joined once again by returning guest John Dredge. Now, John came along to talk about um, a goon show which isn't uh, one of the better known ones, it's fair to say. It's um, the first episode from the Vintage Goon series from 1957. And uh, John and I chatted about lots of things. And in fact, we, we chatted for about best part of 20 minutes, half an hour before we actually started recording. So uh, we're going to pick up the conversation where John is just uh, uh, touching on his affection for the great Wallace Greenslade. He's amazing, Greenslade. He, he is like one of the unsung heroes of, of that show. He's so good. And as you, as you said, um, when Andrew Timothy's on, I can take him or leave him. But Greenslade puts so much personality into the few lines that he has every week. And he's just in the spirit of it. He's just right into that spirit of it. So obviously you and I have talked about, last time you were on, we talked about uh, Call of the West. Great show. Oh, yeah. And then um, uh, this time around for your return visit, you've chosen an episode from the Odd series. I say Odd in the sense that it, it, it's a bit of a curious series um, known as Vintage Goons. Um, tell us about that, because I, they, they say this is from Vintage Goons, but I don't actually know what it means. Essentially, it was um, rehashed uh, and updated uh, remix of shows that they'd recorded from the fourth series, many of which are, are no longer no longer exist. And so these were there's about uh, four, 12, 13, 14 old shows which were um, dusted off and recorded during the eighth series of the Goons. So that, so so it's a rewritten version of a fourth series show. Yes. So the Mummified Priest uh, originally was broadcast in January '54. Was part of the fourth series, uh, and then it formed the basis of the first episode that was recorded of Vintage Goons. And Vintage Goons was a series which was, I guess, commissioned or recorded especially for the transcription services. Uh, and it was it was intended only for overseas sales. So these shows uh, largely were not intended to be broadcast in the UK. Um, That's mad. It was is. It, was it broadcast in the UK at the time? It wasn't then. Well, this is the weird thing because so there were fourteen episodes re-recorded 
1957 into 1958, and six of them were broadcast immediately prior to the ninth series. Okay, um, and the Mummified Priest was 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 one of those that was broadcast. Uh, so it was recorded. Uh, when was it recorded? Sixth of October, nineteen fifty-seven, and it was recorded the same night as they recorded the episode, the Junk Affair. Uh, um, I mean, I find that odd when you said that. I I, I, I listened to the, both of them, and I, I find it odd that they were recorded on the same night. There's not a lot of similarities. You can tell that the, no. mummified, the mummified priest. You can tell. Obviously, it's been updated slightly, but there's only. I guess there's only really been what three, three and a half years from when it was recorded and broadcast uh, in the full series to, to it being you know, remade. There's only three, three and a half years. And yeah, I mean, the junk affair is, is um, you can tell there's, a, a, there's been a sort of a sea change in terms of how the goon show is structured. And because if you, if you look at the mummified priest, it's, it's, a, it's like, a, what would they call it? A rollicking good yarn. It's a, it's a boy's own adventure. It's got, an, it's got almost like it's got a dramatic sense to it, which is really great. Yes, it's, it's, it's got some sort of it's grounded in some sort of story. <laughs> you know, there is a plot and there is it's set somewhere. And, and, and that and that helps. And that helps the performances, I think. Yeah. And there's there's little echoes because obviously the script's been updated up to a point. I, I, I've not had a chance to compare you know, the script for the Vintage Goons recording with the original Mummified Priest script. So I don't, I don't know how much how it's dare been. You. No, I don't know how much it's been <laughs> altered or updated. Um, but it's it's quite noticeable that um, uh, you, you do hear Grip Pipe Thin very briefly. But apart from that, he and Moriarty are not in, the, in this episode. Uh, and there's little sort of echoes, little remnants, I guess, of how the characters used to be and obviously yeah. the characters have evolved from 1954 to 1957. Uh, and also Neddy is incredibly, what's the word, mercurial, incredibly, um, he, he, he's almost like a, the villain of the piece, isn't he? Yeah, I found that weird. Because he's yeah. normally, uh, as we know, cheerful and, and horrible things happen to him, but he's always cheerful and he's on the go and he's trying to get things done and he's the hero, really. Yeah. In this, he's obviously still the central character, but he goes nuts and he, he locks Cron in the cellar and he goes after the gold. I notice as well, he's referred to as Neddy and as Seagoon, but there's a few times when characters call him Seekum, like Cron calls him Seekum. I'm wondering if that's a hangover from the original script from when... Well, he was originally, wasn't he originally referred to in the very early scripts as just Harry Seekum? There was an Adventures of Harry Seekum yeah. or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yep. So maybe yeah, and that was a hangover from that. Possibly. The show begins with Greenslade um, uh, introducing uh, that it's vintage goons, blah, 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 and that these, these programs were broadcast to British listeners some years ago before the goons became a household word in all parts of the world. Um, but as, as I say, it's, I'm, at a, I'm at a bit of a loss as to what prompted them to do this because I, I guess... If I'm, they hadn't done it, if they hadn't done it, we wouldn't have got to hear this show, would we? Oh, no, I mean, we wouldn't. Are those, we are wouldn't. those four shows still in existence? Those four series shows still in existence? Yes, some of them are. There's they about are. 10 or 12. Um, so the Vintage Goon series, it had shows like The Greatest Mountain in the World. Which um, is a classic. Yeah, 
Absolute um, classic. The Missing 10 Downing Street, which that was that turned up on that um, LP, didn't it? Um, was that the LP that had really peculiar stereo? On yes, it? yes. It was really bad stereo. It Essentially, was. it was just phasing. It was it was double tracked, wasn't it, for That's the whole right. show? Yeah. Terrible sort of double track stereo. That's right. But it's yeah. interesting that they redid it. And I mean, it's 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 a really good show. That's probably why they chose it, I suppose. Yeah, and possibly I'm wondering whether. Maybe this is just with hindsight, looking back, whether they could see that perhaps the structure of the show was loosening, and they wanted to, mm. they wanted to go back and and uh, do some shows that were quite tight in terms of structure yeah. and plot and narrative. Uh, possibly, yeah. I, I, I think that's probably a, a bit of a reach. But um, anyway, so the, the 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 show begins with Ned Seagoon is um he's 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 at cambridge university and it's 1889 and um, a very bad year for me yeah because he died. died he died <laughs> i mean that's a, that's a that's a really good line that's an excellent line imagine hearing that line in 1958 yes thinking, what a weird joke <laughs> i love the bit because because seagoon's at cambridge i was studying at cambridge university tradition you know my father had been a light blue, mainly due to poor circulation. However, <laughs> I followed in his footsteps. And after three years' hard study, I finally managed to fail my exams. It was a shock, but my more intelligent classmates comforted me in my sorrow. No, do we? We can't all be clever, no, do we? No, you should know, Eccles. Oh, no, Eccles. How did you get on? I got a special line of a. I got a special anniversary diploma. What for? For 17 years in our kindergarten. I don't believe it's 17. Well, oh, you are. The teacher won't let me leave. Why not? Oh, I married her. <laughs> I mean, what a brilliant series of ideas, all, you know, all, all intensely packed into a couple of sentences. Yes. It's so intense, the goons, isn't it? It's got so many layers to it. I remember Cleese, John Cleese saying that he he would listen to the show the first time he went, it went out and then he'd listen to the repeat and just try and hear for the jokes that he'd missed the first time. He was mm. so intense about it. Mm. And there were so many jokes around this, you know, in, in this show. It's, it's packed full of good lines. See, I, you know, this is me putting on my rather... Your hat. weary head. No, my my my, my um my overthinking it hat. Um, <laughs> I I think that sequence with Eccles and Seagoon, where they're talking about him being at Eccles being at kindergarten, to me that's a that's a series five gag. That's not a series eight. A series gag. five gag. That's so well you know this program. Yeah, I, I don't think five. that's a series five program eight joke. <laughs> I don't think they'd have. It's hard to. I can't describe why I feel this way, but I just don't think that that sequence was that, that bit of wordplay with Eccles and Seagoon would have, would have cropped up naturally in a, in a series eight show. I just don't. Um, and I'm sticking to that. Um, you stick to that. Uh, you stick to that. But, but Seagoon gets offered this job at the British museum. And there's also in this, and um, jumping ahead because you, you'd messaged me last night, uh, cause listening to the show and you said, 
the the sequence where there's the house that is a mirage. Uh, so so oh, tell yeah. me about that. Well, they're in the middle of the desert, and so you can see Seagoon says, "A house, it's a house. We're saved! Hooray!" And they and Bloodnock says, "No, it's a mirage." No, it's a house. I tell you, we're saved, and they all run in. They all run in, and then Seagoon says, "It's gone." disappeared you're right it was a mirage blood knocks it i told you it was then here uh, <clears throat> good heavens Edward, what's happened oh i went upstairs mm. to me that is <laughs> a sequence that they should play again and again when demonstrating the humor of the goons yeah it just sums it up for me it's 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 a visual joke on the radio and it's so clear in my mind what's happening. It's, it is like a cartoon. It's like a, an oral cartoon. And well, it demonstrates their humour. It's completely clean. It's, got, it's full of imagination. And it's, it's great wordplay, all combined. Yeah. It, 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 like you say, it is a visual gag on the radio. And... Um, I there's another sort of the reason I mentioned that now is because there's a there's a a visual gag of sorts at the British Museum where Eccles knocks on the door and Henry Crun opens the door and Eccles says where's the door gone and Henry says I opened it why are you reaching over my shoulder and Eccles says I've still got hold of the knocker and you can just yeah. visualize that can't you totally totally <laughs> So much of it is is visual, and um, I think it's influenced a lot of people visually. Mm. This show, you know, people who went on to be filmmakers like Gilliam, Terry Gilliam. Oh yeah, was very influenced by listening to the Gilliams. A lot of directors, you know, uh, were really influenced by early radio. Mm. Um, just like hearing things like The Shadow on the radio in the States influenced people like Spielberg, I think, and George Lucas mm -hmm. and those sort of... Mm -hmm. So radio is, is very influential visually, which is odd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a few sequences where, again, um, you know, we listened to... We both listened to The Junk Affair, which was recorded the same night. And there's a sequence in The Junk Affair where, for reasons, they're... they're in a, I think they're in a phone box telephoning a warehouse. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it goes on for ages. It goes on for ages. And, there's, and the joke is basically just on a loop. But there's a sequence like that in The Mummified Priest, which is similar where, um, well, it's kind of like that, where, where Crumb goes out and then comes in. And then it's. And he's, it's, he's, he's waiting for himself. Yes. Yeah. He's waiting for himself because Eccles tells him that Henry Crumb's coming along soon or something. It's yes, just nuts. But it's a lot more elegantly done than in it's the Junk very, Affair. It's very, very well done. Really, mm. really well done, yeah. Whereas the sequence in the Junk Affair just goes on and on and on and there's no jokes in it particularly. No, and they've also they've, um, uh, they've got some pre-recorded dialogue which is sped up. Uh, yeah. To give it a I was more surprised it wasn't, it was drawn out that long. Yeah. Although yeah. a lot of the things that were drawn out were great, weren't they? I mean, I, I love some of the sequences where things go on for too long, like 
opening a letter or opening a parcel and that the sound of that goes on for a minute or something you know in um one of the other shows i've always been about uh, i've never really i know what you mean i've i've always been a bit anti those long drawn out not anti but which I've, bits do you like i like i like a lot i like clever gags i like wordplay um, yeah 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 well you come to the right place then you come to yeah. the right place um but the the yeah. long drawn out sound effecty kind of you gag, don't like that no no there is there's there's some i do but there's the one that's that jumps out at me that I really love is from um, Tales from Old Dartmoor. Do you mind if I have a strange request? It's this. I really want to say <laughs> Of course. I'll do it at once. I'll smoke one of my own. I mean, that joke has influenced people like Alexi Sale because I heard him do a very similar joke on his show not that long ago. It's really? interesting how, how those sort of things still resonate. And I heard Ivor Cutler talking about how he liked that from The Goon Show. Oh, okay. Oh, that's, that's, yeah, very influential. But then we've, we've got the sequence in The Mummified Priest where... They've got this, this this ancient scroll, which gives the location of a long dead Egyptian priest's tomb, and apparently it's full of gold. Uh, and 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 Seagoon just turns turns on a dime. He goes from being a vuncular Harry Seagoon to being this this uh, this 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 grasping money mad devil who's prepared to kill or at least you know lock Minnie and Henry in this cellar. For them to die. That does seem a bit out of character. Yeah. You'll starve to death, Crun. I'm off to Egypt and the gold. <laughs> but then again, you've got to remember that Milligan was writing a show a week for years. So, so how much could he have? How much time could he have had to really stop and think about what he was writing? I think he wrote a lot of this stuff in a sort of blaze of subconscious madness or something i think he just wrote it a stream of consciousness a lot of it and 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 then he went back to edit it but i don't think he had had a lot of time imagine trying to write half an hour comedy every seven days mm. and let alone get that standard you know get to that standard oh yeah and absolutely character continuity probably doesn't come into his mind at all um he the character it's just almost like a blur he just he just blurs blurbs it out onto the page whatever's in his mind and yeah you know, what was in his mind was 90 percent genius yeah yeah mm. yeah and the, the, the one thing is as well about 
I sort of touched on it earlier, talking about these the Vintage Goon series where they're remaking these older scripts, older shows, is that there there is, you know, the characters have evolved over the three or four yeah. years. And so you've got Moriarty, when he turns up in Vintage Goons episodes, um, even though it's, it's 1957, 1958 Moriarty, um, <laughs> he's, he's, quite, he's, he's quite competent. He's not shabby necessarily. He's not, you know, he's not living in a dustbin. Yeah. Um, what year is it that he starts living in a dustbin roughly? Well, it's really, I think, from about series eight onwards that he really his, degra- oh, okay. his, his degradation. Because really the voice, seems... the voice changes. The voice, totally the voice changes. changes. Yeah. Oh, it does. Yeah. In the, in the early days, he's like, "Hello, you know, good evening." He's quite, as you say, he's quite competent. And then by the end of it, he's this sniveling wreck, and the voice is completely different. Yeah. Well, he's like the voice is is it's like the series series five. Moriarty is you could almost believe that he might be a character out of Casablanca you know a Frenchman from or, Casablanca or out, of, uh, or, or out of Sherlock Holmes oh yeah yeah and, and and by the time we get to series eight and certainly series nine he's just gibbering wreck he's just abject whereas whereas fiend. um whereas grip pipe the voice is the same yes he, he might have also been dragged down by Moriarty to some extent but he still maintains an air of dignity. <laughs> he does. Yeah, the voice doesn't change at all. The the, the character yeah. changes because he goes from being a fairly respectable character, more yeah. or less, in some in some shows yeah. anyway, to, to being on the make. Um, <laughs> he still he still presents himself as if he's doing well. Yeah, I mean, uh, Crun's voice changed. Henry Crun's voice changed slightly from. Um, from the early days to, to what he became, uh, the voice yeah. the voice was a bit more higher pitched in the earlier days, and so and I think Blue Bottles was as well to some degree. So Blue Bottles' yeah. voice became a little bit more, what would I say, a little bit more brown. I know that sounds a bizarre thing to say. It sounded a bit a bit, a bit more. Um, it went from being quite squeaky to being a little bit more like it, it, it sounded like Blue Bottle had had a few illicit fags behind the bike shed, you know. Yeah, some, he some... almost grew up. A, he almost grew up a couple of years. Yes. So Blood Knock turns up in the Mummified Priest. He's in. He's in Egypt. So Egypt. Seagoon's uh, <laughs> um, uh, hot-footed it to Egypt with the scroll, obviously. There is a joke here, and who, who am I again? Who am I to tell Milligan how to write a comedy <laughs> script? There's a sequence which I think could have had a better punchline to it. I don't know how yeah. you feel about this. Call up his agent and <laughs> There's so so Seagoon tells him about this this tomb. I have a document which indicates the location of the tomb. Where is it? The Valley of Eagles. The Valley of Eagles. Yes. Light me, crud, and throttle me, dongler. <laughs> the Valley of Eagles. Oh, good gracious. Well, well, well. The Valley of Eagles. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Oh, that place. That place. Oh, 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 o
Now, I think the better, better punchline would have been no. No. <laughs> but then you've got one of the all-time great jokes coming out where he says, see, you says to blood, I'm looking for a tomb. And then there's this really long pause, which is excellent timing. Yes. yes. says, in your condition, a wise move. Yes. Perfect really pause. Perfect I mean, pause. what timing, what, what brilliant timing there. Absolutely nails it. And it gives the lines. And there are some other, there are some other lines in this that, 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 are, that don't get any reaction at all, that are clearly meant to be jokes, and they get absolutely nothing, which is... Fascinating. Yeah. Well, sellers, ti- sellers timing is amazing, and um, absolutely, yeah, it is. It's, it, it's one of the. It's that's why it was so great. That that time, the timing he had, incredible. We covered tales of men's shirts recently, and it's not my favourite goon show. I'll be honest with you, because it's it's no mine, no it's, it's 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 really late period, and it's it's just all over the place. A lot of it, but there's some good gags in it. And there's a, there's yeah. a bit in that where um, Sellers as Cynthia, you know, the the sort of the the the, um, the breathy the breathy female breathy female, yeah, um, the temptress. Um, there's there's a bit where the implication is that she's so uh, Ned Quatermass has knocked on her door and she's basically invited him in, and uh, 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 naughtiness has um, has ensued. That is the implication. And yeah. Greenslade says something along the lines of, um, "We leave, we'll draw a veil over it, and you know, leave the audience to sort of imagine what what went on." And there's the, there's this pause, and it's the it's the perfect length of a pause, and then Sigurd yeah. uh, Sellers as Bloodnock goes, "You filthy swines," or something. But it, he's timed it to perfection, and it's like it's, you can't it can't be taught that. You no, know, it's got to be ins- no. instinct. I think. Yeah, and they, the, the, the goons were so in sync with each other around this time. They were so, they were working, as he said in that interview, they were working like one person. Mm. And I think they found it difficult to, to, to get into that when they did the last skin show of all. I mean, that's my personal opinion. Um, mm. They just found it slightly difficult to get that rhythm back. And if there's a brilliant example of them being in, in sync in this show, in um, in the show, uh, in the Mummified Priest, they they do this bit where they just start laughing in sync. Milligan and Sellers start laughing at the same time in this peculiar rhythmic, yes, almost musical way. Yes, and you know you can't write that down on a bit of paper. Can't got it written down on a piece of paper. You can't do that. It's purely co- comedic instinct. It's these two great minds working together. And at the end, it gets a round of applause. And all they've done, all they've done is laugh in, 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 in sync. Yes. You know what I mean? Do you know that bit I mean? They go, yes, I do know. I do know. <laughs> and it's almost, it's almost like they're challenging the audience. It's instinctive. It's, it's, it's there. Yeah. You know, they're, they're communicating with each other in this amazing comedic way. And it's just really nice to hear it. And it's so great that the audience has to acknowledge it. You know, yes. <laughs> and then said nothing. That's what I love about. That's one of the aspects of the goons I love. It's just pure sound, whether it be just nonsensical vocal noises or nonsensical sound effects. Just the use of pure sound is 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 fascinating to me. How they used that. Mm, 
Mm. Just the, the, the musicality of their voices, I love. I wish that there'd been, because there's, there's cine film footage of them performing bits of Queen Anne's Reign from... I love Queen um, Anne's Reign. That's a mad yeah, one. From, was that late 58? Very late 58, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. But I would love, and it's, there was no audio. It was silent film, but obviously um, uh, you, see, you see them interacting with each other. And there's precious little footage of them actually performing goon sh- you know, any goon shows um in you know in the wild as it were as a, a i'm not talking about the shows that they like they they did some tv um like uh tales of men shirts on thames television mm. in 68 yeah. they did um uh, a bit of the whist inspired nigma on a harry seacon show in the 60s they did obviously the last goon show of all where they're where they're playing up for the cameras and they're not you know they've not they're a little bit rusty as well i i wish there was you know um i wish that somebody with you know the right equipment who were uh, had been able to film a few prime period goon show recordings just to see just to have the visuals to accompany the audio so mm. you know something like a show from series seven say like the flea or um, the missing boa constrictor, or some one of those shows, just to see them interacting with each other and joshing each other, and, um, well, that, and, and that's, uh, it's a bit it's a bit different, but that's why I like Parkinson meets the goons because Sellers is inspired by Seekham being there, mm. and they're just it's just a lovely interview, and he's obviously very comfortable with having. Uh, Seekham there and and Parky there and he just gives I think one of his best ever performances in that in that show and it's just an interview yes and it's he's just spark they're just sparking off each other like they would have done I guess back then yeah what is Milligan saying there about you he says a lot that's our book that's a very funny book before before we look at that for a moment can we can we have a look at a a movie that you did uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> because you, uh, because after the stage show and all this sort of thing, you did break into movies, didn't you, with a film called Down Among the Said Men. <laughs> now, we've got a clip now which you're going to show. In fact, um, oh, we didn't get it from any lending library. We got it from the Ark. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's, it's that old. So if you watch the monitor there, gentlemen, you'll see yourselves in just a moment. What do you reckon about that then? Oh, <laughs> terrible. <laughs> well, Chastening experience. We all thought at the time, I think we got about 100 quid each or something like yes. that. And we all thought, oh, Hollywood, here we come. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 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 we, we didn't come to Hollywood. For... And they all loved Harry, didn't they? They all loved Harry. <laughs> no, not surprising. Mm. But he, he really, I, you know, I've heard him talking in interviews, Seacombe saying things like, <laughs> the producer would phone seek them up and say, get down here early because there's been a bit of a falling out between Peter yeah. and Spike. And so they'd all turn up and then Seekham would remember some sort of army joke 
Mm. And five minutes later, they'd all be falling about and laughing again. Yeah. I was reading something the other day where, because obviously series 10, which was the last series, there was only six episodes. And I think they'd, I think Milligan had written two or three more, which were never produced. I've read um, them. I've read them. They came out in, one of them came out in a, in a, in a book form in, in a, in a, it wasn't a book called The Goon Show. It was in a book about comedy. Oh, they, yes. They, yes. They What's quoted, that yeah. Long, they quoted long, a long piece of that, the, the, the shows that were never, never made. Was it The Laughter Makers? That it was, was it. something like Yes, that. The Laughter Makers. Yep. Which that is an it. excellent book. Yeah. Uh, I used to have that years and the, ago. And the, and the writing is quite, um, quite well, very dark. Bleak. Mm. And bleak. And was, Milligan, said, Milligan said there was one more roll of the dice to throw, and if we'd thrown it, we would have gone down and been forgotten, which probably wasn't true, but that was the feeling he had. Mm. It's the sort of thing that Spike would say, though, because he was, he was <laughs> yeah, over, overly, overly dramatic. But that's, uh, the, that's the thing. It is, it is full of good humour, and... Um, Certainly, this show is. Um... Well, yeah, but the but point I was making was that Seacom, I think by series ten, whatever it was I was reading, I can't remember what it was I was reading. Whatever it was I was reading, it was something along the lines that I think Seacom was happy enough to do series ten, but he'd kind of I think got a bit tired by that point of having to be the 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 middleman the conciliator the 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 go between the the one that kind of comes in and calms things down um, I think he yeah, I think yeah. he reached a point where he was a bit tired of that and I think they were all more or less quite happy for it to end you know after all that time with each other it's, it's not surprising mm. Milligan was probably going mad <laughs> Sellers was in between wives I expect. Uh, well, no, still on the first one <laughs> at that time. Was he still on the first one? Yeah, well, he hadn't even... Wo- oh, well, when was Millionaire S? Millionaire S was 1960, so... He, no, he wouldn't have... Well, Sophie Loren was around the corner, but she she was kind of like the beginning of the end in terms of his first marriage, I think. Uh, yeah, but that's another, yeah. that's another story. Um, just it's, hard, to- it's strange, isn't it? It's strange because you sort of... Now, when you think of Peter Sellers, you think of... You don't just think of the goons. You think of Kubrick and you think of uh, Lolita and you think of all the achievements he made after that. Mm. And that mm. sort of feeds back into your image of him in the goon show. So, so it's interesting to remember, to, to, to put it in context and remember that he, had not, he was not a film star yet. Well, you think of this, right? You think of the Lady Killers, Sellers and the Lady Killers. I'm sure you've seen. Which he's barely in. Well, he's he's one of the cast, isn't he? He's he's he's, uh, he's a lot making, of his role was cut out, making up the numbers. Yeah, but it's, he's yes, he's, yeah. he's 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 good in that, you know. But you you right. visualize him in that in terms of how he looked, and then think of him in Casino Royale. What twelve years later? <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> but what I'm what saying happened? is, but what I'm saying, yeah. I mean, that's a terrible film, um, objectively. Yes. But in terms of physicality, in terms of the way he looks. If I didn't know, I, I might not realise that's the same man. He just yeah. changed. Uh, well, he was the, you know, he was the ultimate chameleon. Mm. And he probably thought, I will turn into a film star now. Yeah. And he did it. He did it. He lost all the weight and he trimmed down and, yeah. and his hair changed. Went out with Brit, went out with Brit Eklund. Yeah. And there you go. Yeah, yeah. Making, well, yeah. Sure, making sure his, his weddings were in the papers and 
everything was filmed. <laughs> well, I saw, I saw, I've seen footage of, I'm sure you probably have, of the wedding of him and Britt Eklund in, yeah, was it 64? And, yeah, yeah. What um, was Spike? I couldn't see him. He must have no, been there. You, you could see Graham and David. I, did, I couldn't see um, when they were coming out of the registry office, I think it was. And they were mobbed, mobbed by screaming fans. Almost yeah. like it was like, it was almost like the Beatles. And it was like, that's that weird. To, to, to me, that seemed disproportionate for, you know, Peter Sellers. Okay, Peter Sellers was a popular film star, but it just seemed like it was like, um, yeah, it was like the Beatles. Uh, yeah, and, uh, yeah. Um, I want to ask you, you know, so we get to series 10, and, and I, I appreciate we're not even talking about the mummified priest here, but I said about, <laughs> I said, I said about, I said about Seacom, you know, happy to do series 10, but that was about it. You know, it didn't really, I think they all agreed that's it, you know. Let's let's do our own. It'll run its course. It'll run, run its course. course. And I've had this conversation with a few people, but we've never really sort of nailed it. Why did Harry Seekin never do a sitcom? Why did he never? Even Ronnie Corbett had, you know, Ronnie Corbett was in a handful of sitcoms. They're all any sort of major comedy, British comedy, even Bruce Forsyth had a sitcom. He was in what was it, Tripper's Day? Slinger's Day. I always get those mixed up. Yeah. But every Slipper's Day. Every Trinner's Day. Trippers, I don't know, whatever it was. Every, yeah. every Trippers Day. That was a Beatles sitcom. <laughs> Day Trippers Day. Every British comedian of any uh, stripe at some point had their own vehicle, their own sitcom. And why didn't did Peter Sands have a sitcom? Well, he didn't, but he went on to films. Well, I'm talking about I'm talking about the, the sort of the, the the giants of light entertainment in the 60s and 70s. Uh, yeah. Saying that, Tarby didn't, did he? No. But but Harry, you would have because Harry, because Tarby wasn't in a long running radio comedy show like Harry was. You would you would have thought Harry would have had uh, been inundated with with sitcom scripts, and he never did, did he? And and he yeah, been great. especially as he especially as he took over. Hancock for a couple of yeah. episodes, as you said. Yeah. To me, it just seems a glaring. I mean, maybe. I mean, I presume he just didn't want to do one. I presume he must have got offers. I would have thought. If, if not, then Galton and Simpson were doing something wrong. I don't know, or Johnny Spate, or whoever. You know, I don't know. He did seek him. Maybe he subconsciously played to his real strengths in going into musical theatre, and he did. Well, he did true. get his own show. He did have his own show, quite a few specials. Oh yeah, showcasing yeah. what he showcasing what he could do. I mean, I remember a really good sequence where he was Oliver Hardy and uh, Roy Castle was Stan yes. Laurel, and that was a really good pairing. Um, but yeah, he didn't really do an enormous amount of TV or radio acting, as far as I know. I think um, just on that, I think I'm sure it was Roy Castle. Did that with Ronnie Barker. There was um, what was it called? Six dates with Barker in the early seventies. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was a there was an episode where they both where Barker and Castle were playing Lauren Hardy. I'm sure. Um, oh. Anyway, um, anyway, but you're right. No, Harry Harry obviously decided no. The sort of the musical theatre and the 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 variety shows was the. The direction it's because he, he could use his singing voice, I think. Yeah, uh, I just. But yeah, uh, he didn't. He didn't do many film roles, as you say. And uh, there's that story of his his wife saying to him after he'd come back from some film set, "Here you are, Gregory Peck. Get the coal in." 
That's right. Yeah, Davy. Was that Davy? Because Davy, Davy is a good film. We covered that on on this. Um, he's actually, yeah, thinking about it, he's great in Davy. He's got great is comic. I've never I mean, seen that. I mean, we know he's got great comic timing, but there's a, there's a few mildly dramatic bits in Davy, and um, he's really good. Uh, so mm. anyway, you know, I'm maybe making more of this than I need to, but I just think um, that the great the great Seekim sitcom that never was, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's strange that they didn't do that much together afterwards. Although they obviously remained very good friends. But work-wise, they didn't do too much together again, I don't think, after that. Apart from Ghost in the Noonday Sun, which was a total disaster, as well, we the, all know. The Great McGonagall as well. And The Great yeah. McGonagall was hid. I mean, I think that was a hideous film. Yeah. I know some people think it's like a lost masterpiece, but to me, it's a disaster. Yeah, you couldn't really take a family audience to see there and have a good time watching that these no. days. <laughs> Funny enough, I was watching um, What Remains of Q5 the other yeah, day, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a sketch <laughs> where Milligan is a, is a zookeeper or he's a cleaner in a zoo, or, or, yeah, yeah, I know what a, you're gonna say. And and there's an elephant, and you've got Harry Seacombe's voice, yeah. and Harry Seacombe ostensibly is inside <laughs> the elephant. Is there anybody out there? Hello? Where are you? Inside. Inside? Yes. Inside what? The elephant. I'm inside the elephant. What? I don't believe. I don't believe that. You don't have to believe me. All I want you to do is to make a simple phone call. Walk about a bit. How'd you, how'd you get in here then? I know the right people. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean, uh... That's a great, I like that. It's really, really good. I think that might be the first Q5 episode. Possibly. And, and it's like, you never see Harry, you just hear his voice, but it's unmistakably him. <laughs> well, well, then there's another, then he, he's mentioned in another Q sketch because they're going on about Harry Seacombe. The, the sketch is called Harry Seacombe Liquified. Yes, that's right. And it's it's set in a court. Yeah. And somebody has liquefied Harry Seacombe or something. He's turned into pure water and they pour him out into this jug. <laughs> yeah. All that's about. It's pure. <laughs> that, that, I could, that is one of those that I could see that as being a Python sketch. And obviously yeah. it was before Python. Or just yeah, before yeah. Python. Getting back to the mummified priest, by the way, because um, that's what we're here to talk about. Um, that's what we're talking about. <laughs> um, there's a there's a bit where uh, it's a it's a gag that gets repeated a few times in the Goon Show. The uh, the echo gag. So we walked down, down, down into a labyrinth of ancient tunnels, but still no sign of the actual burial chamber. Stop! Look, lads, a deep well. I wonder if there's any water in it. You can tell by the echo. <laughs> I'll try then. Hello. Hello. Good heavens. What? There's a man down there. <laughs> Are you all Thank 
heavens, he's all right. <laughs> Forward! Good sequence, that. Now, that, yeah, that's basically that. So, obviously, that was written, that sequence was written in 1954 and more or less um, reused in The Rent Collectors, which was uh, Series 7. I don't know if you remember that that bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, he did reuse lines all the time. Yeah. I mean, the, he, he reused so many lines so much of the time, particularly on chat shows and things. Not not so much in, in oh, yeah. stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. He would, I mean, the most repeated line I think he ever used is silence when you speak to an officer, which he must have used in almost every single chat show appearance. <laughs> Well, and, uh, yeah, because because if you ever watched the Muppet Show episode that Spike's on, the 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 climactic musical number, uh, what is it? It's a small world, I think it is. It's a it small world after all, yeah. Um, and and as <laughs> as that's kind of reaching its its climax, Milligan's just shouting all this random stuff, but he's shouting his favorite lines like. Um, silence when you speak to me or um uh you'll go stop that you'll go blind or whatever you know what i mean um yeah uh the mummified priest they this is the this is what i'm saying you know it's 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 an episode where there's a clear plot where there's a beginning a middle and an end and and earlier in the show seagoon had uh locked henry and minnie in a cellar and then um beg it off to Egypt in search of this mummy's tomb. And then they find what they believe is the tomb and it turns out to be... There's a body on the floor. It must be the long dead Egyptian priest. It's me, Mr. Cran. You naughty man, drag me down this cellar. Oh, no! No! I think I think this is an episode that if you had never heard the Goo Show before, you would get something out of this one. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. I think because it, it's coherent. It's a coherent story. You can hear what they're saying. <laughs> a lot of it is conventionally funny. A lot of it is unconventionally funny. Yeah, but, but and you can you know the strong. You can imagine it clearly, and there's a strong thread, and you can tell what's going on. And do you know what I? Because I listen to these shows, um, all of them, all that all that exist. Uh, I pretty much collected them and listened to them in a what three, two, three, four year period in the late eighties, early nineties. And I remember always f- being less enamoured with the vintage goons episodes mm. that I heard, and and particularly the vanishing room. Mm. Um, and I don't know why, because I'm listening to this now and I'm thinking, this is great. And it's great in the sense that we've got the goons at the top of their game, pretty much, because I think Series 7 was their peak. Okay, so they're, they're, they're sort of near enough at their peak and they're, they're um, performing this older show, which, um, which is more structured and yeah. um, has more of a storyline running through it. And you've got you know, these three performers who work so well together, knowing exactly what each other are going to do and say, more or less. Yeah. And you'd think, and I'm listening to them think to this, thinking, no, this is fantastic. So why was I so sort of, or less keen on these shows, these vintage goon shows when I was younger? I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, I can't put my finger on why that would be. 
but um but I, I remembered it as as being a really good one from from my childhood and i probably haven't heard it for 20 years but it just stuck in my head as being a really good one mm. and when i heard it back i thought oh yeah it's still it's still funny it's still really good mm. so like the young affair which I, I didn't really connect with at all no there's a lot of um hit and miss episodes in series eight i mean i'll just while we're, while while i've got the book because i've got um, the uh, indispensable goon show companion with me i'm here. just going to throw something in while i think about it hmm. um minigan wrote us you know he wrote a script a week for was it 27 weeks every year for what 10 years is that right well not always on his own but yeah he, you know he had larry stevens he had eric sykes helping and stuff, how, how yeah. many did I wonder if you compare it to something like Gordon and Simpson. How many did they write a year? Did they write the same amount a year? Because I heard an interview with them saying that they were very slow writers. So that made me think, how many Hancocks did they actually write? It would have been about the same amount, surely. So God oh, knows how yeah. they got anything done if they were slow writers. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not really into Hancocks. So I'm not sure how many. But presumably the radio series certainly probably would have had 26 or so. A series i would have yeah. thought uh someone can write in and tell me um but i'm just i'm just looking at the series eight shows um and and there's some good ones you know we've got like um, the space age king solomon's minds plasticine man string robberies moriarty murder mystery uh man who never was which is one of the greatest goon shows ever and um evils of bushy spawn of course which i really really like but then you've got You've got some some sort of ho hum episodes like the Junk Affair, like Thing on the Mountain, you know. Uh, so there was mm. a lot of there was a lot. Whereas you look at series seven, I'm just turning the page here. You look at series seven. There's a couple of I wouldn't call them stinkers because there's no stinker goon shows. Um, yeah. But there's there's maybe one or two in series seven that I would be a bit sort of mm, sniffy about personal narrative possibly. And personal narrative is, is is not my favorite one yeah and i'm not and and this is gonna this is good well people will know why why i say this but i'm not keen on the mysterious punch up the conquer either and, and it's, it's good i and, like it well it's not just because it's um it's got that bit in it with the <laughs> with the piece of paper but yes I, I remember when they when they when they broadcast the sound of goons the to my mind definitive Goon Show documentary. When they broadcast that originally on Radio 4, I heard it and everyone loved it. And this was just before they played a series of repeats on mm. Radio 4. And the first show they played was Personal Narrative. I thought, who chose that one? Mm. And then it was reviewed in, in the papers and they said, the documentary was brilliant, but of course, when you actually heard the original shows, they were nowhere near as good as, the, as they were purported to be in the documentary when all you heard was clips and i thought you obviously don't know what you're talking about but i wish they hadn't played personal narrative mm. the first one yes yeah i know what you mean and there was a few was that, was that 83 was that right was that 83? it would have been around that time yeah because about there was about nine or ten that they repeated including queen anne's raid but there were some odd choices um for sure yeah. uh, i mean spike milligan's favorite goon show he said was Fear of work, wasn't it? Fear of wages. Fear of wages. I mm. never thought that was that good. I like that. 
I do like that. I like the film that it's based on as well. Um, oh, I see. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when he when he when he finished the, the Goon shows, I, I remember I read somewhere he said he just sort, sort of forgot about it and went on to something else, and he never even really told his family much about it. And then his I think his son found some tapes in the Goon show in his shed or something and started listening to it, and came out and said to Spike, "You thought they were really really funny," and at that point he started to remember what he'd done oh, yeah. i just remembered that from an interview all oh, right okay yeah mm. just thought i'd throw that in there for free okay. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> so um i tell you what though watching i've got the the dvd of all all the q series and uh I, ca I can't watch them i can't binge watch them you can't binge watch q you've got to watch it yeah. i've got to watch it in um it's quite a difficult show shall we say mm. Mm. It is difficult. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, so John, what have you got coming up? Okay, what have I got coming up? It's a good question, isn't it? I'm writing um, a new series of the Nothing to Do with Anything show, which is a surreal sketch comedy podcast, mm -hmm. and uh, which definitely owes something to Milligan and something to Kenny Everett. So I don't know what you think about Kenny Everett, but oh, I love Kenny Everett. Yep. So I'm writing. I'm writing that. And I'm doing loads of things, none of which I can think of at the moment. Okay. And th thank you once again for, for joining me today. And uh, I know yeah. that we've, we've gone all over the shop, but that's the, the way of this podcast. That's the way it tends to be. Um, it's all in the mind, though, you know. It is. It is. And that's it a Larry, really is. It's a Larry Stevens line, that, isn't it? It's not a spike line. Larry, Larry came up with that, yeah. Um, <laughs> Never gets a laugh, does it? Never no. gets a laugh. No. <laughs> Whereas something inconsequential like um uh fish two does <laughs> yeah yeah you should do an entire episode about fish two fish two well at some point i'll be scraping the barrel enough that that will be that and um the melting pot and and uh, uh highway <laughs> um throw them all together into one really ghastly episode yeah. <laughs> it's been really nice to hear interviews with other people that are have been similarly affected by that show because I don't hardly know anybody that's as into it as I am. So it's really nice to hear hear other people's thoughts on it and come across other people that are really into it like like I I am and I was. Uh, John, thank you so much for joining me and uh, take care. Yeah. And I'm sure we will speak again. We will indeed, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you again to John. Please, if you aren't already, please consider becoming a member of the Goon Show Preservation Society. You can find out all about them uh, on Twitter. It's at DGSPS. I'll be back next week with another episode. I think it's going to be a, another Goon Show that we're covering. Um, or possibly just me um, sitting in stony silence with nothing to say. Which, you know, possibly <laughs> maybe more entertaining. Who knows? Uh, thank you so much, as I say, for listening. Please um, rate and review on iTunes and all the rest of it. And I will see you next time. Bye.